0: there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about black marketeering and rationing uh, and stockpiling, hoarding and speculation uh, in Stalinist Russia before the Second World War. So that period we've been looking at quite a lot, 1928 to 1939. And we're drawing mainly from Sheila Fitzpatrick's brilliant book, um, Everyday Stalinism. Um, So it was extremely difficult to gain goods of really any kind from um, consumer goods through to the basics of life, such as housing. Uh, and food, uh, using the formal system of uh, acquiring these things through the, the bureaucratic state uh, and the systems of uh, distribution of resources that the Stalinist state had. Um, it was almost designed to create shortages and uh, surpluses of unused goods. Um, Bureaucracies um, that distributed them were inefficient, uh, as as we know, and extremely corrupt. So um, the informal system of blat, which really is, you know, summarised as who you know, was um, the way in which most Soviet citizens got round uh, these shortages, if they they got round them uh, at all. State-owned shops had huge queues outside, and normally uh, there were at least some empty shelves, if not a majority of them. Waiting lists for housing um, th- through local authorities were very, very long, so long, in fact, that um, subverting them was actually the only method of getting housing at all. Um Anybody who waited their turn could be waiting years, if not decades. So virtually nobody got to the top of the list without uh, some sort of subterfuge or, or ulterior methods. Um, so Sheila Fitzpatrick says, writes, What this meant was that the informal distribution, that is, distribution that bypassed the formal bureaucratic system, was immensely important. There was a thriving second economy in the Soviet Union throughout the Stalin period. It had existed as long as the first economy and could in fact be regarded as a continuation of the private sector of the 1920s, despite the switch from barely tolerated legality to illegality. Like the NEP private sector, the Stalinist second economy essentially distributed goods produced and owned by the state with privately produced goods, in a distinctly secondary role. Goods leaked out of every state production and distribution unit at every stage from the factory assembly line to the rural cooperative store. Anyone who worked at any level of the trade system was likely to be involved in some way, which meant that this type of employment, uh, while bringing higher status than the average standard of living, uh, was also seen as a shady uh, and lacked social status. So this tells us some very interesting things uh, about the economics and the uh, sociology of Stalinism. That the black market was essential for living, that most, if not all, Soviet citizens on, somewhere, on some level, in some way, were involved in it. And the the black market, uh, what was distributed through it was mainly the products of state-owned factories. So, state-owned theft, um, theft from state-owned uh, factories was ubiquitous. It was, it was widespread. So, this must mean that most Soviet citizens uh, understood that uh, widespread theft from, um, the, uh, from the state was uh, embedded in in nearly every aspect of of everyday life. It was entirely possible that uh, any item that was procured um, through any means other than queuing up for hours for it had uh, dubious origins. And it must mean that most Soviet citizens uh, tolerated, accepted and even embraced um, as a means of survival uh, the subverting of the Soviet economic system. So what that would suggest is that the the view uh, that there was widespread idealism in the Soviet system is probably um, fairly flawed. There were indeed people uh, during the 1920s who uh, believed that Stalinism would uh, lead to uh, the promised communist utopia and that the future was being built and that they had a participation in it. But alongside that, not only would they have known people who participated in the black market, but they themselves would have done so when needs must. Um, Economists have pointed out that um, the Stalinist economy couldn't have functioned without the second economy. So without a black market, the um, system of of Stalin's economic policy would have ground to a halt. Industry relied mainly on um, illegal procurement practices to get the right materials uh, and equipment. If a factory producing goods uh, in the Soviet Union Needed next day delivery of machine tools or something else. These things had to be basically stolen from somewhere else within the Soviet economy. Uh, And the factory managers needed to have contacts in places where things could be loaded onto lorries, um, normally to keep themselves and their network of friends out of trouble. Uh, and to meet uh, meet targets, so there is an immense amount of chaos existing within uh, Stalin's command economy and also within the the five year plans. Industries um, and uh, factories employed uh, vast armies of um, procurement agents or pushers, fixers, fencers and and thieves in essence um, to get hold of of this kind uh, of uh, valuable equipment and raw materials. And so because this is widespread throughout industry, it's widespread throughout the population. Buying um, food and clothing from black marketeers or getting uh, an apartment, um, getting railway tickets, getting passes for vacations um, uh, at resorts by blat, by influence, or by pull, as it was referred to, um, was a, a, an intrinsic part of um, a, of everyday life. Uh, some uh, citizens uh, relied on this more than others. Uh, and some are more adept at finding um, these sorts of fixes uh, than others. The uh, Soviet authorities applied the term speculation to any act of buying goods to resell at a higher price, and they treated it as a crime. In many ways, this was like the, uh, the supreme crime. This was uh, the, um, the, the, the crime of, kind of petty capitalism, Of exploitation of of the workers, of trying to extract wealth from the proletariat. Um, This is a uh, a Marxist uh, perspective, a kind of Marxist Leninist perspective, Um, though few non Soviet Marxists have ever really um, given any thought to or any kind of critique of people buying and selling things. Um, It seems to have been a particularly Russian variant uh, of uh, Marxist thought. Uh, And it is the obsession with speculation can be found, its origins can be found in the privations of the Civil War period and the tendency of famines to occur in Russia, uh, meaning that state control of things, particularly like food resources, are um, uh, a, a state obsession. So the speculators ranged from um, major um, criminal syndicates who were lucky enough to have uh, lavish lifestyles, um, connections um, across many cities, and particularly connections with the parties, um, and uh, all the way down to the poorest Soviet citizens who would um, barter and buy and sell uh, small items of clothing or food uh, in the morning um, and then resell them um, in the evening if, or you know uh, however many hours later for a small profit. Um, these were people whom, if they didn't participate in these, these kinds of activities, faced absolute destitution. She, sure, Fitzpatrick, writes... A man named Zhidabetsky, sentenced to an eight year prison term for speculation in 1935, um, bought lengths of woolen cloth in Moscow and took them to Kiev for resale. Others, like Timofey Drobot, sentenced to five years for speculation in the Volga region in 1937, were former peasants uprooted by dekulakization, uh, living a marginal hand to mouth existence. So these were people whose activities would be considered in any other society relatively mainstream and ordinary acts of uh, commerce and uh, economic, um, e- e- economic uh, self-care, self-preservation. The uh, level of criminality, of actual gangsterism, uh, among most of those who were sentenced to uh, labour in the gulags, uh, was virtually non-existent. Um, the One of the cases of speculation reported in the press, one of the, the biggest ones, um, was involved, um, involved a group of speculators who were described in the press as former kulaks and private traders. Though the fact that they were described as that doesn't really tell you very much, as former Kulak was kind of a blanket term for most things that are bad uh, in Stalin's Russia. They set up a trade in bay leaves, soda, pepper, tea and coffee, using contacts um, in a series of um, cities across the Volga and the Ural Mountains, as well as Moscow and Leningrad. Um, one of the men who was caught was carrying 70,000 rubles. Um, There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. That's plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. Plushcare.com/slash-weight-loss. At the time, and was said to have made a total of 1.5 million rubles for his uh, operation. Nashmudin Shamsudinov, uh, Magomet Magomadov, um, who are artisans from Dagestan. Um, were, in Sheila Fitzpatrick's writing, not in the same league as the uh, Bayleaf gang, but were caught with 18,000 rubles on them when they were arrested for disorderly conduct in a restaurant uh, in the Chechen capital, Grozny, um, and they had just sent another 7,000 rubles home. The um, Bayleaf gang had obviously a very sophisticated operation that could not have existed realistically without party connections uh, and without the kind of the connivance of the party. So on one level, the party and state are riven with corruption, which is kind of the product of Stalinist economics anyway. But at the same time, the Stalinist um, system was looking to, to um, uh, merge together the notion of that which is criminal to that which is um, entrepreneurial or capitalist and making no distinction between the two. And the Stalinist system um, was not just seeking to stamp out crime but to really seeking to stamp out any notion of uh, capitalist um, formation at all. Both Stalin um, and uh, Khrushchev and later in China Mao as well believed that the process of stamping capitalism out would take generations. They believed that capitalism was you know, rather, rather like economic weeds. Wherever you turn your back, it tends to spring up, and using ongoing and immense brutality, it could be uh, torn out by the roots. There is a, an anecdotal story, I probably shared it with you before, of Khrushchev visiting uh, Mao in the late 1950s. I think it was 1957. And the two of them um, driving through a part of rural China. And they saw, as a result of the growing famine crisis, um, a Chinese uh, man begging by the road, selling the last of his remaining possessions for a bowl of rice. And Mao... Supposedly said so to Khrushchev, though this is apocryphal. See, there's your problem. It just keeps, you know, it just keeps springing up where you least expect it. And instead of seeing a starving man, mouse, or a capitalist, somebody selling his belongings for private gain. So, but that gives you an example of the kind of the extreme nature of of uh, ideology, uh, of ideology uh, at this point in time. Uh, and indeed in the 1950s. Um, The uh, transport network in Russia is one of the means by which um, speculators, inverted commas, uh, make it around. Um, Provincial speculators would acquire goods um, and take them on train, uh, by, by taking the train to Moscow and Leningrad where um, the uh, stores are better supplied. Um, it would, they would then return to the regions uh, and sell them at a profit. Um, in uh, Voronezh in 1936, 22 speculators were prosecuted um, and they had all used this method. Um, they had set up a dressmaking workshop as a cover for the goods um, which were uh, obtained. So they actually, uh, in the same way that um, in uh, most European and, uh, well, most countries in the world now, drug money uh, is laundered through uh, everything from um, uh, casinos to tanning salons. Here we have not money laundering, but almost goods laundering, so that you could provide an explanation as to why you had uh, bolts of cloth or thread or, or, or what have you. Um, And that shows you how the kind of economic system of of Stalinism sort of inverted, in a way, the flaws of capitalism itself. It's interesting, when you look at the Varanej um, dressmaker's shop, what was found at the time, um, 1,677 metres of cloth and 44 dresses, but also two bicycles, many pairs of shoes, gramophone records, so what was being brought back from Leningrad and Moscow, it would appear, is not um, salt, sugar, uh, fat, bread, um, these sorts of basics, but gramophone records. Now, this would suggest that there was an appetite for these sorts of things out in the provinces, that Soviet citizens were at a point in the 1930s where, uh, obviously, there was a, a kind of a desperation for survival for, for food and for housing, But people were still interested in uh, enjoyment, in leisure, in um, the pursuit of kind of creativity and culture. Um, And this could generally only be supplied through illegal means. Um, The the biggest operations had much more effective means of obtaining goods from state stores than simply going and purchasing them as ordinary customers. Big time um, operators... Uh, would have connections with store managers or warehouse personnel. Sometimes they themselves would be store managers or warehouse managers and boxes would be put, in, uh, put aside for certain purposes, uh, be left at the back door. Um, store managers uh, and other traders uh, might also be involved, like, um, the, for example, the commercial director of a Leningrad clothing store who was uh, prosecuted... Um, for heading a ring of speculators uh, that got its goods directly from the store warehouse. In the clothing store, the commercial director was not the only one involved in speculation. Um, one of the salesmen and the head office store of the store's fire department um, were also uh, involved uh, and had made deals with other speculators um, to give advance warning when goods were coming into the store and to let them in without queuing. Uh, charging 40 or 50 rubles a time. So that seems to me to be the the crucial factor. It was the scarcity of goods that creates the black market, that creates the gangsters and the speculators that need to have tip-offs to know when attractive goods are coming into the shop uh, and that that need to um, be able to do this in order to circumvent the problem of queuing. So nearly every job... Uh, involved in uh, trade uh, or retail was seen as in some way suspicious, not just to the authorities but to the public, who would have had a a kind of a knowing nod that uh, somebody working in a warehouse or somebody working on a shop floor or someone who was a store manager was probably taking backhanders from somewhere, a kind of a... uh, a cynicism, but um, a cynicism that was also an acceptance that the most members of the public were the beneficiaries of this uh, set in and there was an acceptance by Soviet citizens that nearly every aspect of uh, life in the Soviet Union was corrupted in some way. Some chose to believe that this was the residue of capitalist society, that several more generations of Stalinism would finally stamp all this out and the glorious future promised would emerge. Others, I think, were more circumspect uh, and saw this as being an inherent part of uh, human activity and something that even Stalinism uh, wouldn't erase. Another role that was seen as um, synonymous with corruption was that of the train conductor, um, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes. For example, a conductor on the Stalino Railway uh, in the Donbass bought shoes and manufactured goods of various kinds in Moscow, Kiev and Krakow uh, and resold them along the run. Another conductor would pick up cloth in the provinces from people who were employed in textile factories. He also took trains to Shepitovka, uh, which was uh, close to the Russo-Polish uh, frontier, and obtained goods, which he smuggled across the border. Bathhouse personnel um, were also thought to be um, speculators, uh, along with chauffeurs, um, and often small-scale speculators were often housewives who stood in line at the stores Uh, and bought up as many of the goods as they possibly could do, thus exacerbating uh, the shortages. Um, So they would try to uh, wholesale uh, as much uh, cloth or linen or thread as they could get their hands on for resale later on. One housewife in Ostromova, um, uh, who uh, was described as a regular speculator in cloth, would buy three to four metres at a time. On her arrest, 400 metres were found stored in a trunk in her uh, apartment. Um, Apartments uh, were of huge suspicion to uh, the Bolsheviks and then to the Stalinists. These were venues where private life took place. Uh, unaccounted for, uh, unchecked, unfettered, and where subversive political thoughts might happen, and also subversive political and economic activities might happen. So they were often the venues for buying, for reselling uh, goods. Um, These often were not even stolen goods. These were just goods bought from the store, hoarded, and then sold on as a profit. Um, Neighbours would know that a certain person, and it would often be a woman, would have a certain kind of item, a certain kind of good, um, and could acquire it or could drop in in the evening to have a look at what she had. Um, as with many in these, this, what is referred to as the second economy, uh, many of the transactions there, this is likely to be regarded in quite a different light by the participants, who saw it as friendship uh, and the state which interpreted it as a crime. Um other places that seemed to be synonymous with this kind of resale were railway stations and stores um and or where hawkers um outside the store would sell the goods that had previously been bought uh, with them. okay, well, I hope that you found that useful and interesting um and I will be uh, continuing this little look at Stalinism uh, throughout the next few months. Um, do remember if you can to swing by our uh, Patreon page and if you care to uh, sponsor the Explaining History podcast all contributions greatly accepted till then, thanks very much, all the best and bye bye